Tommy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have you. I feel like I've known you forever, <laughs> but we never really hang out that much. And whenever we get close to a surf session or something, something happens, I get busy or you cut your foot wide open or just <laughs> yeah. something happens. Yeah. And if we're on the beach, the waves are pumping and we're doing that. <laughs> we're doing that like cross by each other yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your strategy in crowds? I'm, I, I want to. I think that's my first question because mine is I kind of go against the grain. Like if I catch a really good wave, like I did this morning, yeah. everyone went to that peak. So I'll catch one to hang out back where they were, and then I'll wait till another set cleans it out. And I and if there's a current going, I, I kind of like that because it cycles people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my strategy is moving in between it all. And then if I'm on a longboard, I tell everyone to go. Just yeah. please go in front of me. Um, that's my strategy. Could you coach me on that? Like, uh, what are you doing? For me, if I'm free surfing Guiones, which doesn't happen that often, I'll do two waves, one peak, and then I'll, I'll move. I'll do two waves, the next peak. I'll do two lefts here, then two rights there. And I try and just move around, feel it out. I, I often go for a lot of the smaller waves on the inside as opposed to waiting for the big sets where everyone wants to kind of scrap for it. You've got to be careful doing that because if people see you on small waves and they see you on lots of small waves, in their mind it's like oh there he goes there he goes there he goes and it's kind of like uh hey i could have got that that being yep. said that's that's my tactic normally i try not to go for the best waves the set waves i'll pick off the little ones that no one else seems to want that makes sense so uh i think when we met maybe you were at surf simply at the time and then maybe we crossed paths a little bit on that quick trip to nicaragua mm -hmm. which is fun yeah um and i was like i like that guy i'll reconnect fast forwarding through a pandemic and all types of other crazy things here we are yeah. um Tell us what you're up to now and give us some backdrop on you, uh, what you're doing right now and how you got to Nosara. Okay, it's a long story. Here um, we go. <laughs> yeah, we met when I was still working at Surf Simply. I worked there for five years. It was um, the best job I've ever had in my life. An incredible company, really nice people. Part of what makes it so special is the willingness for, for Harry and Farou to kind of work for you as staff. It's, it's really, really special what they do. And I do try and emulate that as I move forwards with my life. Um, but before that, I was, I was born in Kenya. A lot of people don't know that about me. I grew up in Africa. I moved to Cornwall when I was 10. And I went from a big multicultural city, a uh, big international school, learning French, German, doing jazz dancing, piano. And I moved to a tiny village school in Cornwall, England. For those of you who don't know, Cornwall is super remote. It's like if you imagine a Hollywood movie, it's like the pirates. They have the same accent as a Hollywood pirate. And it's like caves and taverns and drinking. And I went to a school with 24 kids. We were the first non-white family in the village ever, in the history no of the way. village ever. That's its own podcast episode right so there. So just like a complete, for my mind as a young, as a young kid, as just a, a young complete Kenyan. <laughs> crazy change of scenario. And that's where I learned to surf. Uh, when I was about 13, I got a job at a surf school before I could surf. I was in charge of washing wetsuits, putting up flags, getting coffees, photocopying. Um, it's a cool job for a 13-year-old, though. Great job. And I was bringing home 10 pounds a day. That's like 10,000 kilometers a day. I was like, love it. it. Great. Um, but bit by bit, I was working hard. They were saying, OK, you've worked hard today. Go with the last lesson you can watch. And I learned to surf that way. So since then and here, I've moved around the world. I did study, I went to university twice. I've got a degree, a master's degree, but I would always seasonally work as, surf, as a surf coach in Cornwall. And then I started to go around the world working. 
Uh, now, did surfing is... have your attention this whole time? Like, did you think about it when you were off at university? Were you kind of like, uh, want to get back to the beach? That's a great question. And the answer is no. For me, my big passion growing up was football, soccer. Okay. I, I used to play semi-pro and it was all I wanted to do. All the time, I loved playing football. Then I had a real bad injury on my knee, which was great for my studies, because it meant that I wasn't out partying, I wasn't out playing football, surfing, I was at home studying. So it got me through university, but it did mean for me that I had to stop surfing. And that's when surfing really, I stopped playing football, sorry. And that's when surfing kind of took over. How old were you when that was happening? That was about 22, okay. 22, 23. And that was a big change. So after that, working lots in surfing, finished my degrees, promised myself, okay, your surf career is over, you're gonna get a real job. <laughs> I moved to Australia and I got a job in marketing. And that job evolved into marketing for a, a surf camp, which one day <laughs> they had a surf coach who was, didn't turn up. Then I was surf coaching and the boss was like, that's you. <laughs> so back there, back So you again. can't get away from this. No, this, is, this is just who you are. And I do, I love it now, it's evolved. That's, that's who I am, yeah. I do love surfing and I do love educating. I do love trying to teach people and I do love people discovering surfing for a start because it just brings so much joy. It brings passion, it brings frustration as well. But um, seeing people progress and seeing people learn, is, it's a great experience. It's a great honor for me to be able to help people with that. Yeah, congratulations on finding it in that manner. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. if you just grew up saying, I wanna do this and I did that, you didn't know the other side of life. Yeah. You did it just the opposite. And that might be a reason that I like coaching so much is I didn't go out and surf all the time as a kid. I'm definitely not the best surfer around, but I understand that kind of progression. I understand that people have blocks in different parts of surfing and I've been there. I can remember it, it's recent. I'm still progressing my surfing and that I think really helps me with what I do as well. I think that might've been why I enjoy talking with you even just in quick bursts because I'm trying to progress my surfing. I'm nowhere near as good as I want to be, mm -hmm. but I'm better than I ever thought I would be. Yeah. yeah, And I'm kind of enjoying that, that area for continued growth and it never gets old to me. Mm -hmm. So whether it's exploring boards or trying to find the right one or just maneuvers, like it, it does, it just doesn't get old. I want to get better. Like I want to improve through my fifties. I turn 47 next month Yeah, and I really mean that. I want to improve all through my 50s. I, th I think there's a long ways to go. Do you feel, is that what you're saying? I definitely do. I think it depends how long you've been doing it for. For, for some, some of the guys out here that have been surfing since they were tiny and they've kind of hit their best at, let's say, 24, 25, and they're really, really good surfers, they might find there's a bit of a decline. For myself, I'm still lucky, lucky enough to be hopefully getting better bit by bit by bit. Well, for people listening, this might be encouraging because they're talking to two people, or they're listening to two people who surf a lot neither of us really suck but we're not pro yeah but we're still thrilled with it as we're getting older you can keep surfing yeah. so your story now is even more interesting to me because football or soccer for anyone from the states listening that was your thing <laughs> my thing was baseball i thought i was going to grow up and be a, pro a professional baseball player like i was going to from high school go to a junior college yeah. try and either get drafted or then go to like florida state or something and then from there try to go pro and i was laser focused from I don't know, five years old to, to 18. And then I went to college, broke my hand. And for the first time I was like, what, why am I doing this? And the reality is I was doing it cause I was good at it. Uh -huh. I, I had a lot of anxiety and I was scared to talk and, and approach people, which might be surprising now, but I really scared. So I was like, 
maybe I just make it to the minor leagues or something or, or semi-pro or whatnot, and then I'm 28 and I haven't done anything yet. What do I do? Yeah. So I use that broken, like your, with your injury, I had a broken hand that made me think. I was like, I really like to surf. And so my dad and everybody else was like, you're crazy. You're not built for to be a surfer. You're, you're a pitcher. You throw, <laughs> you throw a ball hard. That's what you do. Yeah. And they're right. But I just, I liked it. So I went back uh, and quit everything that I was supposed to do. And I fell into being a longboarder in crappy Florida, just like you fell into being a longboarder in crappy Como. <laughs> yep. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. All right. So bring us up to speed now that we're, let's bring back to Nosara. Bring us up to speed what you're doing right now. Okay. And who's your, like, your target demographic? Do you have a particular style of student or angle that you want people to know about? Those are good questions and things I do analyze a lot. Actually, I've let things happen organically. I don't really do much in the way of marketing, uh, definitely not in the way of targeted marketing. I kind of just open my doors and if we can work a way to help you with your surfing, that's what I really like to do. Lots of people kind of pigeonhole me as a, a longboard coach, which I do love longboarding, but we, we coach, you know, surfers of all abilities as well it's not just advanced longboarding or intermediate longboarding we coach from beginners we coach shortboarders as well nice well that this is a perfect platform to get that message out yeah 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 so people will be interested in that because they think the same thing about me as your longboarder that's yeah. all you can do yeah, yeah. and then the people who are just learning how to surf they're like why are you riding a longboard it seems like you should be better now because they think longboarding is not well hard yeah and the reality is rail work on a longboard is quite difficult. Proper real placement and utilizing the timing, learning how to turn or even paddle out a longboard. A lot of people never get that far. They just use it to learn and then progress because they're trying to get cool. Yeah. And let's just get into the, the controversial stuff right now. I think 90% of people out there at that lineup are riding the wrong equipment. We're at a soft wave. It's not strong, <laughs> but people are so quick. I mean, I'm talking, I'm not even talking like dumb people who are just starting. I'm talking highly intelligent people who are top tier at what they do in life, Yeah, are out there on too small a board, missing waves, getting one or two and be like, yeah, it was fun. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, you're not going pro. You don't need to be on a five, eight whippersnapper yeah. board. You yeah, should yeah. be riding what's right for the equipment. I can go on and on about the subject, but my point is people are riding the wrong equipment in most cases. Now that's to our advantage for the people who are on the right thing, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but I don't want to not tell the truth. It's it's true, Keone's is a soft wave. Yeah. Everyone should be riding well, what that wave dictates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robbie, when he opened Olo Alaya and he came on the podcast, I yelled at him pretty good. I was like, dude, you're messing it up. None of us are ever gonna catch waves anymore because people are about to start riding <laughs> the right equipment. The secret's out. Yeah, thankfully that didn't quite catch, but uh, I said my take on that, what's yours? Yeah, listen, I, you know, I'm a kind of rider anything guy. Yeah. I'm super happy for people to go out. If you wanna go out on a kayak and you're doing it safe, cool, go out and do it. If it's safe, fine. If you want to go out on a bodyboard, fine. If you want to swim, fine. Um, there was yeah, a... Hey, you left out SUPs. I got to call that out because that's like the... <laughs> SUPs too. I mean, some of the guys out there on SUPs are incredible, incredible to watch, right? There was a point four or five years ago where I was, you know, pushing hard. It tends to be dudes on boards that are kind of way too small and they're getting grumpy and angry at longboarders catching waves that they can't, old ladies catching waves that they can't. I've now reached a point where I just sit back and it's like, okay, you've chosen you, you do you, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but yeah, you see a lot of people out there. For me, I, high tide, mid tide gear, and as I really struggle to ride a board that's under 35 liters. I won't catch waves. I'll have a frustrating surf. 
You're just so for people listening who care about this stuff. Yeah. I, maybe everyone's tuned out now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what's most interesting to me. Uh, your weight, so somebody can compare that to liters, so they might understand in kilograms or pounds or whatever. I'm 11 stone. <laughs> Someone's gonna have to edit in the uh, what that is in kilograms and pounds. I don't know what that is. We'll roll with it. Um, 35 liters and 11 stones. Yeah, and if I'm gonna go to a, a, a steeper, hollower wave, I'll surf a board that's 28 liters to 31 liters. If I'm at Guiones only at low tide, would I even think to try that? Still then, I'm probably on 32 liters. That's for my surfability. That's for my fitness, right? Some of the, the, the kids here are really good surfers and they can go out on a 27 liter high tide and boost an air. Fine, okay? But if you're struggling to catch waves, that board is then holding you back from progressing. It's holding you back from having fun. It's probably causing frustration. <laughs> Man, you just diagnosed me to a T. I want to ride a shortboard. Uh-huh. I actually can. Maybe nobody knows that, but I can. I actually feel like I'm I'm pretty good. I but I can never catch the wave, so I can't prove it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So here's my situation. I'm leaving all my shortboards in Nicaragua. Like when I saw you at the boom when we surfed there, mm -hmm. I was riding a pretty small shortboard because I could. Mm -hmm. I actually can fit in a barrel there. Mm -hmm. uh, here, whenever I try to get barreled, which I try every day, the water just kind of hits me in the eyes or the face or it lands on my head and uh I'm now at Guiones basically getting on my knees to try to get as low as I can and as solid as I can just to take the hit and land it or pop the back fins out or spin around or something. I'm yeah. trying to find a way to have fun with the situation that we're given. I work a lot, so I can't travel ton to surf. So it's Guiones. Yeah. So for me, it just came down to if I'm on a short board, I get out of the water angry yeah. or frustrated. Yeah, yeah. And there's no way I can paddle like many of the people who can paddle. But a lot of the people who paddle extremely well can't surf very well. So to me, in my mind, it seems very unfair. Yeah. It's like, I want to catch one and show that I can surf, but if I can't catch it, we just never get there. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, for me, for me to surf a shortboard out there, I've got to sit closer in. The wave's got to be a lot steeper for me to catch it. Okay. My, my, my fitness, my stamina, my speed isn't up there to do that. That being said, if I'm sat there, the chances of someone on a bigger board catching that exact same wave way before me in front or behind catching it and standing up, it's their wave, they've got it, I'm just going to you know, get into frustration. So at that point, the board's holding me back from improving my surfing because I'm not catching waves. It's holding me back from enjoying my life as well. So, you know, that, that's the kind of conversation you've got to have honestly with yourself. A lot of what I do is not just about catching waves, whether the board's too big or small for you. It's also about moving your feet with short borders too. Elaborate on that. If you slow down, slow-mo, a lot of the best short borders here, but a lot of the pro surfers on the tour, you'll notice the short borders are moving their feet. It happens in milliseconds and we don't really notice and pick up on it, but if you slow those videos down, you'll see people moving their feet. If I have someone who's struggling to step back once to try and turn, I start to have the conversation softly. Let's try it on a bigger board, okay? Do you feel comfortable moving your feet now? Okay, yes, we can. Can you now do that same cutback that we've been trying over and over again on that small board? And can you do it better? And a lot of the time, once we break that barrier, people start to feel more comfortable on bigger boards, definitely here, and it starts to tune up their surfing on smaller boards. I'm seeing why you're a successful surf coach and have such good follow-up and repeat clients because what you just said is huge. If somebody can turn a big board and they get off a short board, learn how to turn a big one, going back to that small one, it's... Yeah, yeah so long as you do it in increments. Because the gotcha. other thing I see a lot of with people who are on a board who's, in my opinion, too small, is what I call a survival stance. They're standing in the middle of the board because that's where they can balance. 
okay they're not comfortable surfing on their front hip ready to move their back hip to the back foot on the tail they move forwards neutral hips and it's kind of like a arms everywhere kind of wobble if that's your situation find a happy medium between the two work your way down to that and then you'll probably find like i did 25 liters is just too small for you don't do it again <laughs> so we're, we're coaching everyone out of our waves right now but that's okay um <laughs> i was trying to think of who we can get the video of we're gonna have to blur their face who's just standing there in the middle but you just define most of the lineup are the people who try to get off short parts on the long boards they'll just stand there there's two things i really despise in surfing one is riding too small of a board and not being able to turn like having the tail sink and you want to do a cutback but mm -hmm. it's just like that eh. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I hate that boy mm -hmm. i hate that i'd rather ride a finless board or i'd ride a body surfer or long board practice real work so i dislike riding a board that's too small in the wrong conditions the next thing i dislike the most is people riding long boards on good waves just standing there yeah can you go more into that message of why do you think that bothers me well i know you know but uh -huh. somebody listening might not have any clue what i'm talking about well, I, I get this a, a lot, and again, it tends to be dudes, it tends to be male, male surfers. They've been surfing 20, 25 years, they can catch a head-high wave and they can fly along the line. And I ask them to do a cutback. And some of them, with the waves they surf, point breaks, they don't need to do that, okay? But then I give them a scenario. What about if there's a child on a bodyboard, floated out to sea right in front of you, can you turn out of trouble? And that's the thing that I'll really have um, struggle with people with is okay we can catch loads of waves okay but can we come in the white water and learn how to turn this big thing first and then go back out there and that's also a bit of friction sometimes for me <laughs> but when i get through uh, to people then we start to work on going up and down waves then we start to do the 480 cutback and things really start to progress gotcha so once it catches is when people the snowball starts going downhill they're yeah. like once people like get into it and they understand look it's not a regression to be in the white water for example it's not a regression to surf a bigger board for example they start to feel more in control because they're doing more on the board. They are in more control and they start to have more fun. That makes sense. So for your business and your life here, is there anything that you want people to know or hear or put out there? Is there any, uh, you said you don't have a target audience, but is there a preferred thing you can ask for? Like maybe somebody <laughs> wants to progress at something and that's, that's what you want to, sometimes was, teachers want to teach different things. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And after years and years of coaching mainly beginners, I really wanted to coach high level surfers. You've got to be careful at what you wish for because if you have lots of high level surfers frustration is really really important there because they know what they want to do it's one thing that you work on for a whole year yeah. and you might not get it after a year you have to keep working on it so that's its own thing it's super exciting to coach something different to coach something new ah. to coach a higher level at the same time you know people ask me tommy why why are you in with the beginners today don't you want to go out and, and do that coaching beginner surfers everything is brand new each step goes real quick it's success it's success and it's so much fun you've just got to have a mix for me i really need that kind of blend that mix of doing all the levels all the different people all the ages so that it keeps me fresh as well and i'm always on my toes on how to coach different people better that makes sense so your coaching is much like your surfboard writing whatever whenever and the variety is what keeps everything spinning yes but you would like to get into more advanced but you also describe what i was hearing you say and what i was thinking was when you were saying people with skills that already exist with big talent also comes off a big ego yeah and their mindset of learning yeah, yeah, they yeah. want it to fit their comfort zone yeah and they're already structured so you're saying sometimes tearing down those walls of humility yeah and it's it's really hard 
being a lesser surfer than some people. Some of the people I coach are much better than me. By now, Delilah is a much better surfer than me, which I'm really, really happy for. Congratulations. Her. But when you- She's a better surfer than all of us, man. <laughs> when you get that trust with someone, for example, my coach Slater, he'll sometimes ask me, what could I do differently on this wave and show me a video and I give him my feedback. Sometimes in two weeks he comes back and he's like, yes, that worked. Sometimes he comes back, he's like, what are you talking about? Let's go through it again. And we decide it's not working for him. Coaching, you know, I always use the example of Arsene Wenger. I'm an Arsenal fan. Soccer team in England for everyone who doesn't know. Yeah, yeah they don't know. <laughs> um, but the football, yeah. But yeah, yeah. The guy was terrible at playing, but one of the best managers we've ever seen, right? He just really loved learning and he really loved coaching and he loved analyzing and studying. So there's a lot to, to be learned from that, I think. From my perspective, maybe it started in the late 90s. I just started watching surf videos like crazy. Yeah. And when I, well, I always wanted, I always wrote shortboards and my friends would ride longboards. And then after, I don't know, I was probably 20, 21, they just kept riding. This is in Florida. There's waves in Florida are horrible. They're, well, they're good when they're good, but they're good for like an hour or two. Then yeah. they're gone. Um, they were having fun and long, long rides. I was like, all right, enough of this. I don't need to be cool. I just want to have a long ride and have fun too. Yeah. But so getting to my point, I started watching videos to see how they worked because I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to turn it from the middle or I was trying to use my shortboarding skills on this thing. So I hated it. I was like, oh, longboards stink. Yeah. But they didn't stink for everyone. They just stunk for me because I was so bad. So I went to videos, pause, fast forward, read it, magazines, look at the pictures, look at that rail line. He wiped out there. Where did he go wrong? Good. And I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. And I really enjoy it, but I'm learning that not everyone, like Etienne, let's pick on him, he's here with us. He doesn't like watching video and getting into real work and seeing what people do. To him, it's just like, let's just go surf, see how it goes. Yeah, and for some people, that's it. And surfing has this kind of long history of you've got to just go out there and do it, otherwise you're a kook. I don't like using that word. You've got to just go and earn your waves, earn your stripes. It's so far behind other sports. If you want to see surfing as a sport, okay, to me it's a sport and an art, but if you want to see it like ballet as a sport and an art, you've got to start thinking some people need coaching. Not everyone can just do it. Yeah. Man, that is very true. Yeah. Surfing's like that all the time though. We fight and hate everything. Yeah. And like, hey, hey, January rain. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I, I watched your other one where the molasses went down and then the rain started. A lot of the issues I see with surfing and skateboarding, I kind of trace back and I, I think, look, a lot of the best surfers and skaters, what are they doing with their childhood? Are they going to school or are they cutting school to go surf and skate? Are they learning about how to interact with other people? Are they learning about things like respect the right way? Or are they come from broken homes where respect means a bang in the head? And that's something I really struggle with, especially when someone's aggressive to me in a lineup or on the beach. I don't excuse that because that's not okay. It's not okay to be aggressive, but you can kind of track back and see, right, X, Y, Z, that's, that's, he's a product of his environment. And it's really tough. It's really tough to see that. And it's not just Nosara by any means. In Cornwall, in the surf towns, same thing. In Australia, surf towns, same thing. Sri Lanka, same thing. Heck, Florida is, yeah, Florida. whenever there's waves, <laughs> people are crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Everyone's so starving for waves when there are some. Like yeah. it's, yeah, yeah. it's intense. Here's the nicest lineup I've ever been associated it is, it, with. We're so lucky to be here. We're so lucky. You've got your bullies in the playground, of course, but on the whole, everyone is just on such a similar page. It's such a nice lineup. We're really, really fortunate. Hey, uh, this might be weird. So guide me if anything's awkward though. You're interesting because you have color to you from Kenya, then England. So you like had 
Africa, literally Africa, a country in Africa for 10 years of your life. Yeah. Then England, which is like the widest, most piratey place that you've ever been. <laughs> Over to Nosar, where people are a different shade of browns, but yeah. now you're mixed with like everything. Yeah. Can you talk me through race in surfing a bit? Because I'm just a big white guy. I have no understanding of anything. And I'm very interested to know how are people received? Do you ever have hard edges? Are, is everything cool? Yeah. Are people bring their problems from land out into the water? Like, can you talk, maybe someone listening through this? It's so multifaceted. There's so many different elements and dimensions to race and surfing. With my personal experiences, for me to report back to my family in Kenya that I go in the ocean for fun, they just look at me and they're like, you do what? <laughs> What do you mean there's waves? What do you mean there's a board on a wave? Why would you go out there? They're just like completely blown away. Um, in the States, in South Africa especially, there's a long history of keeping black people out of the water. You're not allowed to swim with white people. You're not going to have surf lessons. So, you know, there's an, an oppression of black... There's a long history of oppression That's of not black even people. that old either. Like, yeah, that's, no, no, no. That's, that's... In South Africa, that's not old at all, right? So there's that kind of element. Another personal experience for me here, moving to this town, a lot of people were very, very friendly to me in the water until they heard me talk. Then things kind of switched. <laughs> I'll just leave that at that, but it was a bit upsetting and disappointing to start with. I kind of got used to it, and I can see, again, there's the other thing we talked about, I can see why people feel that way. I can, you know, you can trace back the, the issues there. Because there are inherent issues. I uh, gotcha. I appreciate you talking on this. I'm hoping someone out there who might, I mean, just getting in the water in front of people, it can be very embarrassing. It can be humiliating and learning. I, I, it might be nice if someone listening to this who maybe might have whatever flavor or variety they are mm -hmm. can feel encouraged to know that it's more good than bad. Get out there, give it a go, but don't, I, I, I mean, it's 2023. I would hope that race isn't an issue in stuff, but like you just said, in South African surfing, what, what did that, apartheid was like over in like 91 or 92 or something yeah. crazy? Like, we were alive then. Yeah, yeah. It's shocking. It's, it's shocking. But. It's weird. I, I think about like the contests where the Hawaiians couldn't get into South Africa even because they had any type of different variety to them. And then some of the people were like, all right, if my Hawaiian teammate can't go, then I'm not going. But some of the best surfers didn't go. Wow and some of the people weren't as good maybe did yeah. the whole thing just all left up if, if you could just say it that way it is it's messed up <laughs> well let's hope it gets better uh, moving on from there let's talk your particular favorite waves let's just say costa rica let's go from let's just say from northern costa rica down to cameron or santa Teresa. tell me your two or three favorite waves and why you like them I don't think I can. <laughs> See what you can do. Um, you don't I, have to say any names. No, if, I, if I'm going to be longboarding, I like dry season pavones. A lot of people kind of write that off. But for longboarding, for me, it's great. Um, I love longboarding here at, at Guiones as well. If we're trying to get faster waves when we've got good swells, I like to go up to Abidjanas. Marbella is really fun when we've got good swells up there as well. So those would be my top four. Gotcha. So you'll just, just depends on the waves and the board. Yeah. That's a Dep pretty depends on on the swell we've got and the kind of board I'm, I want to surf. I've never been to Pavone, so I, I want to go. I'm normally here working, <laughs> but I want to go. Uh, for me, I think Guiones is probably the best warm water beach break longboard wave I've ever been to. In terms of a beach break for longboarding, I think it really is. I, I can't think of many that, that compete with it. My only beef with it is it might not be strong enough, but at the same time, 
it breaks it every tide. Mm -hmm. And I don't need a big wave on mm -hmm. a longboard. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very interested in real work. I'm very happy and I have super tiny wave too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually, Jonathan Bucks, the shout out to that guy, he taught me that about Guiones because he never wears a leash. Really classic style longboarder. Mm -hmm. He always sits on the very inside. Mm -hmm. Dr. Uh, Jamie, she's now just sitting on the inside and working on footwork. And I always, I, I always like My seeing that. My most dedicated, committed client is Jamie. Really? She's brilliant. She's, if it's massive and pumping, there's no ego. She's in the white water. She's practicing one step or she's practicing a cutback. Brilliant. It's happening. It's working. Yeah, so yeah. shout out to you and to her. No, she, she's awesome. Hey, uh, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tommy, tough questions coming at you. Yeah. Who are your favorite people to watch surfing? And let's go through the varieties. Let's talk longboard. Then let's talk fishes or mid links. And then let's talk shortboard performance. Okay. Okay. Very difficult question. Yeah. Um, Let's, I'll do age-wise. My favorite groms at the moment, there's uh, Romeo and Gustavo Ruiz. Coming They're, on strong. Gustavo's progress in the last two years is unbelievable. I'm so happy for him because he's a really nice, really, really nice kid as well. Um, if I was to choose longboarders, uh, Delilah's my female favorite longboarder on the beach for sure. Uh, there's a guy, Dorian, he's a very good longboarder. So those would be two of the probably best male and female I'd say out there. There's another one, Andy Vega, who's um, improving really well longboard, but also really well shortboard. He's kind of doing both. On a fish, wow. If you, don't, if you can't come up with that one, we could just go to style, as far as who's like the stylish. Yeah, and I think style-wise, I have, I have two people who, well, I have three people I really like the style of. I um, Fredo, Alfredo Barquero, really, oh really gosh, good style. shout out to Fredo. Uh, Luigi Montiel, great style. Always. Doesn't look like he's trying at all. Great style. And Helbus Ruiz. So oh, another geez. one in the Ruiz family. <laughs> and then most in, um, inspiring can be his daughter. Of course. Shout out to her. Great. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. When she, she's, she's a little scared right now, but I'm hoping as she, she grows in confidence, she'll come on this podcast because I want people to see that story. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. just how she's incredible. She's inspirational, yeah. So weird Nosara out in the middle of nowhere with soft wave is cranking out solid surfers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who even knows 10 years from now what it's gonna be like, right? Um, but that'll be globally. I think with wave pools, with more surfing popular on beaches, everyone's gonna be surfing out of this world. They should be. It's so much more fun than most every other activity. It's way more fun than everything else, isn't it? And also we're getting older and we're yeah. still doing it. Yeah. I can't go back and play football or baseball or any of those things. It, yeah, like, isn't that special? It is great that you can just keep doing it and you can adapt your style, you can adapt your, your, your equipment and you can keep going with surfing. Yeah. All right, more tough questions. I think I know your likes about Nosara. I want you to tell me your dislikes. Like, what do you dislike about the place? Ooh, okay dislikes about Nasara, I'm used to being from small towns. So once I left Nairobi, Kenya, I moved to Port Isaac, Cornwall, tiny little place. I'm used to that kind of everyone knows everyone's business, everyone's kind of on top of everyone's business. But there's something in Nasara, maybe it's because it's a mix of people in a small town where everyone's kind of in each other's business happily here, happily here, happily here, but there's no kind of everyone's kind of in groups that kind of sometimes come to head. So that's been a big adjustment for me because I like to think I've got friends in all different kind of groups with all different kind of peoples, but sometimes I can't bring them together. I was gonna say, you probably do have friends in all different groups. You can't bring those groups together though. Yeah, so that I, a good friend of mine knows that I get anxious about that sometimes. So much so that I didn't invite them to a dinner that I had lately and he was very angry, but 
I just get this kind of anxiety of this might not work, this might be a clash, and you've got to be on your toes a little bit more, which is a shame. It does, you know, keep the mind sharp and keep you thinking about things and keep you thinking about your actions and the things you might say, because, you know, you, other people are thinking about those things as well. But at the same time, it's sad that not everyone can just kind of all kind of get along. The social scientists that came through, mm -hmm. uh, Tina, Dr. Tina Nabonacci, Kristen Freetag, Alvaro Salas, I mean, some heavy hitters who do this stuff for a living, they're conducting a study on Nosara. Yeah. And they just released the first major results. They did, they did a thing a year or two ago, and now they've done all the science and crunched the data. And what they came back with is, I think it was like 90% of us basically agree on all the same things. They want environment, they want a sustainable development plan. We want the locals to have opportunities. Just go down the list. Basically, everybody kind of feels the same. Yeah. We all want the same things out of the town, and we all see the benefits of having the strengths of a town in place. What we're not doing is getting out from under our bubble group, like our group bubble. Yeah. And the way it kind of works is here, maybe you had this surf instructor, or this surf school, or this realtor, or this attorney, or this yoga instructor, just pick a category, it's all the same thing. But people kind of stay under that umbrella. And what they said for towns that, they're, all, they're really, really interested in Osara because we're kind of at a precipice or at a tipping point, mm -hmm. according to them. Like in the next five years, they're basically saying Nosara is going to decide if it turns into a model town for the world or if we're just going to become a standard, another surf town, just like another, just name any other town on the Pacific coast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of makes sense. They said what a town needs to work is they need government interaction in some capacity and some cooperation with the government. Well, historically, Nicoya's way over there, and we always fight with Nicoya, and mm -hmm. it's always been a very bitter relationship. We even tried to secede and break away from them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's getting better now, thankfully. The next thing up was they need community leaders to communicate, even if they disagree. Well, in Nosara, each organization, uh, or the leaders of the people, a lot of them have, I don't like them, or I don't like that, or because of stuff that's happened in the past. What they're saying is the true leaders have to let that go and communicate for the greater good of the community. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is they need the community organizations to dialogue and communicate. And historically, we've done a horrible job of that too. Mm -hmm. That being said, the community organizations are starting to talk more than they ever have, thank God. Nikoi is communicating with us better than they ever have, thank goodness. Um, now we need the people to kind of deviate from what you brought up as your negative of the place of kind of staying under our umbrella. Mm -hmm. We need that to shake loose. It's kind of like 1942 when it comes to a lot of things here. But what the social scientists are saying is we have to fix that if we want to get the key things to lock the town into a model community. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but uh, it's interesting that your biggest dislike of the place is one of the key things that Nosara really needs to fix. Yeah, honestly, if I think back to that analogy I used of little bubbles that people are in, if these bubbles did actually mix, they'd find that there's great people in, in both. <laughs> and actually everyone would probably just get along. There's a lot of prejudice of, it could be you're from here, or you work here, or you do this kind of work. Are you ride this surfboard? Or you ride this surfboard, that's one of the stupidest ones, but whatever. Um, that kind of just prejudice that holds people back from finding out that people in this town are great. People in this town are awesome. They really are. I hope people are listening to you, man. <laughs> I guess we'll see how it goes. All right, next hard-hitting question. What are your three favorite restaurants and what do you like to get there? Oh, okay, I really do like La Brasa. I can't go there every night, <laughs> but I really do love La Brasa. Uh, I what love, do you dig there? Uh, the ribeye, the ribeye to me is, is awesome. Um, I love going to Almendros. That's one of my favorites. 
I do love going to La Luna as well, especially if I got friends or family in town. It's a great experience, there's a beautiful view, and the food's good as well. What do you get? Um, I used to get the chorizo picante pizza every time with no cheese. It did keep coming with cheese, so I've changed it up now, and I get the, uh, the beef kebabs. I okay. really like them, yeah. So you got your landed spot there. Right on. All right, so next one. What's your problem with gluten? Gluten I'm fine with. Lactose. <laughs> All right, what's your problem with lactose-orientated items? So when I was about 16, 17, I noticed my stomach was just playing up kind of every day. And when I was about 17, 18, the doctor said, just cut out lactose and see if that problem goes away. And it just disappeared, the whole issue went. I then tried to go back to lactose, and it wasn't just a bad stomach, I'd get red hot rashes on my arms, neck, and now it's quite a thing. If I have even like a bit of cheese now, it's, it's not fun. Gotcha. It's not fun. <laughs> so you gotta dodge the pizzas. Yeah, I can't do pizza with normal cheese. I've, I had the lactose pills that, that you can get, and they lasted for about a year now, even that doesn't help me. I'm extreme. Not everyone's like that, but I'm extreme. I really gotta stay, stay clear of it. Hey, what's the deal with surfers? We are, we're always anti-everything. We don't communicate well. It's kind of like a small town that has some issues. <laughs> if you think about it, from surfboard design to the accessories, like when it went from balsa to fiberglass, mm -hmm. hated that. Then when it went from fiberglass down to shortboards, well, some people really hated that. Then when leashes came around, you can't wear a leash. Then it came to wetsuits. All oh, those are for kooks. Yeah. Then when shortboards came out, and when the trifin came out, everyone hated it. Yeah. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Like every single movement in surfing, surfers for some reason like to put their guard up and not embrace it. So now I'm fast forwarding all this to wave pulls. Okay. There's okay. a lot of talk about a dissension on wave pulls. Every magazine, every article for a long time yeah. was talking about how unholy it is. What I'm pointing back to is surfers have never one time accepted things smoothly. Yeah. A lot of other sports are like, oh, we now have this technology, let's implement that to get better. <clears throat> okay. Surfing never does that. I honestly think if I had a wave pool to surf at, I could do an air reverse. I really think I can. Or not a reverse, what's the one where you do the air and you spin like front side in? Yeah, yeah. I'm almost positive I could do it. But I can't catch enough consistent waves to, to practice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't, the reverse is the one I don't wanna do. I don't wanna spin that way and land out in the flats on my ankles, I've already done that. I wanna do the one where I'm going front side, pop, spin to your front and then land. I really want to. I okay. want to go to wave pool and practice that. I, I really, truly believe it. I'm saying that also publicly so I can make it happen. <laughs> Manifesto. <laughs> okay, let but me, I need a wave pool. Let me try my best and think out loud and, and, and answer what I yep. think might be one I, idea. I'm bitching because we're always bitching. Okay. We've got, we've got surfing and surfing isn't just sport and art. I said that earlier. There's also surf culture, right? And we've got a surf culture that has since probably the beginning of surfing becoming a thing, not just you know something that people do without anyone knowing they're doing it, a surf culture that's been led by men that are also aging men, okay? And if someone younger starts to do something better than them but they're doing it differently, you can discount it. It's not the true essence of surfing. I decide what the true essence of surfing is. Um, so, I, so that I, just kept going and going and going. I think I think there's still a bit of that, isn't there? As that would explain wave pools. We, we spoke a lot about longboarding. Sorry, everyone. We spoke a lot about longboarding. But at the moment, we've gone from high-performance longboarding to classic longboarding. And it's been spearheaded by a certain someone who is putting on Instagram, if you do this a certain way, it doesn't count. If you do it the way that I do it, it counts. Okay? And you kind of see that mentality and just how strong and powerful it still is in surfing. I hope it changes. I so do. what's your take on wave pools then? Um, okay, look, 
That is a really tricky question. And you could ask me the same question by saying, what do you think about surf schools? And here's how I'm going to try my best to answer that. You and I know, you and I both know that it's much more pleasant to surf in a small crowd. Okay. Surf schools are making surfing more accessible to people. And I do it. Wave pools are going to make surfing more accessible to more people. Do I think that will mean more people in the ocean? Is that a bad thing or a good thing? I don't know. For me, we should be sharing this with everyone. It's awesome that we get to go in the ocean. It's awesome that we get to surf. Also, it's going to bring a crowd. The other thing, people with access to wave pools, we can already see with uh, the, the young surfers now, they're boosting aerials. They're learning to do it in wave pools. They can take it to the ocean. They're getting better and better and better. I saw my first front flip okay. out of a wave pool the other day. Exactly. And that's awesome. But for me, <laughs> I'm so far behind already. And then these kids are getting such a springboard. That's just me being selfish, right? I think it's great. It's great. I think they're great and needed because all the way back in the 60s and 70s, people were complaining about crowds. Yeah. Like the first pipeline surfers moved over to Maui because pipeline got found and discovered. Uh, uh, no, look at Nosara. Just look at here over the past, I don't know, when did it really take off? 2015-ish, 2012, 15, somewhere in there? Yeah. Anyway, just in recent years, the, the young kids who were just learning are now leaders in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, more people are coming in. There's not enough space in the water and there's not enough waves worldwide for people to have access to. If you live in Kansas or Georgia or Alabama in the States or Kenya, you're not going to be able to surf. Yeah. So I personally think surfing is the best sport in the world for a health or mindset. I think there's some sort of calming effect mentally when people are inside of water and interacting with waves moving. I might be getting hippie, but we're in Osara, so I can be hippie for a second. I think it's a good thing for the planet. I think if you put a wave pool right in Palestine and Israelis and Palestinians could surf and truly surf and have fun and then have a conversation, I think things might be a little better. I have no proof of that. It's just an opinion. Mm -hmm. So where I'm at is like if the waves are already crowded, like I said, I'm from Florida. As soon as there's waves, everyone's there. Mm -hmm. If there's wave pools, at least people can have a release. And that release, I think, might help humanity right now. And that's the flip side. If there's more and more wave pools, does the crowd spread out? Or does it teach more and more people to surf that then want to go take it to the ocean? I think it's going to get to where people are surfing wave pools and some people never even make it to the ocean, yeah. which is sad in one sense. And I admit the traditionalists have a point there, but I'm also saying that person might not have access to surf. So why deny them access to yeah. the best sport out there? No, that's a great argument. And we've already seen, you know, WSL doing a wave pool surf contest. Maybe that becomes a different kind of surfing. They catch a lot of flack from that. Yeah. Like a oh, lot yeah, of for sure, for sure, because some people are stuck in their ways and <laughs> that's not real surfing. <laughs> yeah, that's not real surfing. Well, again, for our guy from Florida who's big and sinks yeah. easily, yeah, yeah. I just want something to ride. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not everyone can move here or as crazy as me to drop everything, sell everything you own, move penniless to a, <gasps> a, a to someplace like Costa Rica. But now, well, heck, Nosara is now discovered. I guess the the adventure of Nosara is kind of gone. So let's bounce into that. What do you think the best years of Nosara were? Because I personally think the past 10 and the next 10 were the best of this place. That's kind of how I feel. Okay, I've only lived in Nosara seven years. Okay. We've seen a huge change in, that, in those seven years. Probably the most change in those seven is to the prior 15. I don't know. You, you know, you, you guys would know better than me. But... Um, 02 to 06 had a pop. Okay. Interest rates were hit the floor post 9-11 in the States. People could borrow against their home and get a, 
home equity line of credit, our second mortgage that they bought here, but it was still mainly Floridians, Californians, a little bit of Carolinas, a little bit of Virginia, and some Canadians and Europeans. Things changed when Liberia adjusted. The flight patterns all adjusted. Europe uh -huh, opened up, uh -huh. Canada really opened up. The center of the US is now coming in. Yeah. Texas, Colorado, yeah, Minnesota, yeah. Calgary, Montreal, Edmonton, all these different places. So it's changed the people coming in. They're more affluent, but they're less surf oriented. Yeah. Most of the people coming in now, they love the idea of yoga. They love the idea of surfers. They love the the whole feeling of it, but they're not diehard into it. That's yeah. kind of how Pilata has taken off. Yeah. Compared, Guiones, it used to just be the Yoga Institute's there, Harbor Reef and Via Taipei, which turned into the Harmony and whatnot were there. The northern end of Guiones just had gilded, but back then it was more of a kind of homey down home, couple rooms. Yeah. And that was where the backpackers and the young kids kind of went. Now that's gotten it's exploded you can barely drive through on the weekends yeah. it's parking's a huge issue and we see the demographic change your side of town as i'm kind of calling it over here to the kj is still more residential but you have like bodhi all the classes and more bigger surf schools safaris expanded surf simply now is a spot right there yeah um yeah. it's all it's all growing but i'm not saying it's bad or good i'm not I'm not, I can't make a judgment on that. And, and I'm the same as you. I never try and say that change is bad and I never try and fight it unless it's you know really important and there's something I can do about it. It's about adapting to change. I was watching some very old surf clips of me coaching. They must have been 2016, about when I moved here. But we were doing something that we called dynamic hunting. So we were starting off in the south, we were seeing a wave coming towards the north we were heading over towards the north, we were lining ourselves up, we were then angling back south to catch the wave. And I watched the video over and over and I was like, where are the people? And the video had a timestamp and it was 8.15 a.m. And we pretty much- it's Rush hour. We, we, we went from the cemetery to the main entrance, caught a wave, and there was no one around. It was great, it was great, okay? But if I think back to myself then, I wanted more things going on. I wanted more facilities, I wanted more diversity, and so there's always going to be something that you, you're wanting. The grass is always greener. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? I really do. Yeah. I really do. I share your sentiment about, about whether, it's, whether things are bad or good or, or the growth. I think there's pros and cons for each of it. So when you first got here, you didn't have as many doctors, you didn't have as many outlets, like things that made life kind of more balanced weren't here. I was driving to Nicoya to do tiny little things all the time. Always going over there. The road's not always the best. The, the road was really tough back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not all bad. Uh, the local populace often really dislikes, well, anything new, but, uh, but like real estate, which is how I make my, that's my day job. I yeah. have to sell real estate. I don't want to, it's, I don't wake up saying, all right, I'm excited about selling real estate. Let me move to Costa Rica so I can sell real estate. That was never the thing. I'm trying to find a way to exist here and to have my family and be here. And I try my best to offset whatever hypocrisy I have from not wanting crowds or growth to give back. This podcast is an example of that, but I understand there's negatives that come with it growing. I also understand, again, I'm from Florida. I watch the whole place just from everywhere in the world, people kind of come in. I also understand if you're gonna grow, you may as well try to do it as good as you can. Mm -hmm. And if people are gonna come in, yelling at them doesn't do anything. It only just kind of makes them lock up and stay under their umbrella, which is this town's problem. Yeah. If somebody's going to come in, what I would think is, let's lose the whole, I've been here longer than you, so 
I'm here in the hierarchy or this way is how it needs to be done. I honest, I really honestly mean this. I see the people coming in who are well healed and well funded as the solution to our problems. Costa Rica is not going to strike oil and, and just all of a sudden have money to to have our security and our police be up to speed. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna happen. It's not like the states where we can just print money. There's yeah. no Federal Reserve to, yeah, to yeah. do that. Yeah. It's us. Like, look at our bomberos. Look at everything around town. It's mainly people getting involved. And that's one of the things I love about Nosara is people who do get here. Like when the rubber meets the road, when there's a fire, people are on it. Yeah. And I love seeing that. Yeah. I would like to open up that homogenization, whatever word I can't think of, of the people coming in and say, hey, welcome. Maybe I was here first, but we still need you. Get involved. I guess that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Uh, tear down the walls of communication and just say right up, you're coming in, we need you. But just don't let people kind of stay on their island and just visit, leave, visit, leave, give their surf instructor a tip and think that they gave back to the community. We need more, like mm -hmm. we need funding, like we need stuff. How many community organizations do we have? Heck, we have competing community organizations on the same subject. Like. Most of all of which are trying to extract money from the same spot. <laughs> so like when one organization launched a, a well-intended organization around beats type stuff, they launched it, pulled away funding from our main organization that saves lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And both do good things and both save lives, but one saves a couple, one saves them daily. Yeah. So who's to say which was right and which yeah, was yeah. wrong? So again, I'm inside this machine and I talk about this all the time and I'm always around it. I really only think I really think the only solution is new capital from new places and people caring and wanting to get involved. So that's why I'm saying all this right now. I hope people listening to this will will do that. Yep. Or better management, better foresight, better planning of the, the wealth that's actually already here. That's a good point. What we need to do that is get egos out of the way. Yeah. No, that's hard. Humility is a bitter pill to swallow. Dropping egos, that's a tough one. We need some coaching on that, Tommy. You got any solutions for that? Oh, I'm trying to work it out myself. <laughs> Me too. What a, what a tricky thing growing up is. <laughs> I'm still doing it, everyone. <laughs> the older I get, the more it's just like, oh God, I was an idiot. Yeah. Why did I say that or think that back then? Yeah. All right, well, when you come up with solutions for all this stuff, let me know, we'll have you back on the we'll podcast. We'll solve the world's problems together. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll be good. Um, in the meantime, while you have this platform, is there anything you want to get out there? Uh, any messages for anyone, shout outs, any uh, good or bad jokes, just anything? Uh, no, okay, two things. I really, really would love everyone to keep the beaches clean, okay? We do beach cleans and we try and help with that. A lot of the time, stuff doesn't come from us on the beach here. It comes from towns and it comes down in the rivers. But let's try together to keep the beaches clean. We all enjoy the beach. We all enjoy the ocean. We can do that. And then everyone, please drive slowly. <laughs> if you see me driving fast, tell me to drive slowly. Hopefully I don't, you don't catch me driving fast. Hey, Tommy, on your message, can you slip in the don't tailgate or motorbikes or people don't tailgate quite so much? <laughs> yeah. Don't follow too close. Drive safe. Come on. just. Just be sensible out there. Man, yeah. it's a pleasure having you in. Yeah, thanks I so really much. I really appreciate it. This was um, fun. It was. Your foot's getting better. Next time we surf. Yeah. That's what we should do. Let's yeah. go take a whole mess of boards okay. to wherever, and you can coach me and pick apart my surfing, and uh, we'll have some fun. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you very much. My yeah, pleasure. I appreciate it.